The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. I've said uh, I always wanted a cool nickname, never had one. Never had one. I did have a nickname for a while, which just wasn't cool. Um, actually, when I was in junior high, I was a uh, larger child. I don't know how to do, uh, say that uh, tactfully or anything like that. I, they put me on the offensive line on the football team, not because I was strong, because it took a while to get around me. And uh, so uh, I and I remember. I guess I'm scarred by this. I remember a guy named Bud Hall who uh, uh, one day walked over and he kind of poked me. And he said to all his friends, hey, Thomas is Fluffy. Uh, and so for that year of junior high football, I was known as Fluffy. Not the, uh, yeah, not really where I wanted to go there. If you could forget I just said that, I'd appreciate it. Some of you are writing, can't wait to use that. Adam, where did he go? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know he can't wait to work that in there. Here comes Fluffy. I, I say that. Uh, I could take it better in junior high than I actually could now. You never, as a preacher of God's word, you never want to be considered fluffy, where all that you say is just a fluff or anything like that. And I want to tell you that today's message, I am very confident you will not walk away saying that. What I, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of warning in that I think this is a message, if you, you know, it's a little cloudy outside today, great afternoon for a nap, don't take your nap now, okay? Uh, you're really going to have to think and focus on what we're saying there, so I want to invite you to do that. Uh, just to have a questioning mind, have an active mind as we go through this and as we look at this. We are doing something that we haven't done for a while, and that is making notes available. We're not really passing them out when you come in, but they are by the doors. If you didn't get them today, you might even want to pick one up on the way out because it will have some extra verses in there like that. But uh, if you like that, uh, you know, we used to pass them out to everybody and find half of them in the seats. Well, we're not, we don't do that now. Uh, but if you want one, we want to make them available. But we are going to begin uh, with... Okay, we haven't done this for a long time either. I don't know if you can do it or not. If I say God is good, you say. And if I say all the time, you say. Eh, that wasn't bad for a long length of time that we haven't done that. Uh, but we are going to explore that idea. And as I mentioned, I probably, not probably, I actually looked at it. I had four times as many notes as I usually have when I went to condense the sermon and, and put it together. Uh, so I spent a lot of time trying to do that, trying to... Uh, you know, focus on the things that are important that we can talk about today. When I think of this topic, one of my favorite things is something a pastor of mine used to share all the time This stuck in my mind. Uh, he'd always say, you know what, our God is omniscient. He knows everything, so he knows what is best. Our God is omnipotent, so he can do what is best. Our God is all loving, so he wants what is best. So I can... Take that through the things in my life through that filter and say that whatever happens in my life is best. That whatever God, you know, that is the best thing because I know God is. And I always love this because when I think about myself as a parent, there are times when, you know, I obviously wanted to do what's best for my kids, but I didn't know what was best. <laughs> I tried, but I messed up. 
Uh, there were other times when there was something I wanted to do that I wasn't capable of doing. I couldn't be what I wanted to be for my kids. Uh, there were times even when my selfishness got in the way so I could say I didn't really even want what's best then. I was just being selfish. Uh, so I was not a perfect parent. But our Father in heaven is a perfect parent. He knows what is best. He can do what is best. He wants what is best. And look at that. But if you are thinking along with me for a second, uh, and, and I do want you to think, think this way. I don't want you just to soak it in, in there and, and not process this. When we talk about the goodness of God, when I say God is good all the time and all the time God is good, and when we look at this idea, th- there are a lot of times in our minds and sometimes in our hearts there is a however, but. Uh, I want to show you what I mean for a second here. The question that is put in a lot of psychology, a lot of of thinking, uh, comes to this thing here. This actually started with a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus, but it has been repeated down through the ages. They look and they'll say, wait a minute, an omnipotent God could destroy evil. A benevolent or an all-loving God would destroy evil, but evil exists. And the conclusion that we could make from this or that is made from this often is that there cannot be an omnipotent benevolent God. Okay. If he loves me and he can do whatever he wants, then why exactly are bad things happening? Why is this part of my life? And this has been a question that uh, I'm not so worried about Epicurus, the old Greek philosopher who said it, but uh, I am worried because today Oh, we still wrestle with that. Not just those who have decided they cannot believe in a God, uh, but also sometimes even as we sit in church, sometimes we wrestle with this idea. Okay, you're telling me God loves me. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And yet, however, why is this happening in my life? And I think if we're honest, uh, many of us have do or will struggle with that idea. So let's go back and tear it apart a little bit, if we can, uh, this statement, or look at each part of it, I guess, is how I want to say that. Um, First of all, the first thing I'm going to have to agree with Epicurus, and uh, we know that there most definitely is evil in this world. Um, If we had, you know, an hour-long sermon, you know, we'd probably take a little time and go through and, and illustrate, but I don't really think I need to. Uh, I think if you're wondering if there's evil in the world, go home and watch the news. You know, you're, you're going to find that there is evil in the world. And, you know, I don't think I need to talk about, you know, starvation, you know, go into detail on the starving people around the world or the heartache that people have faced in, in natural disasters and things like that. There's evil. There's hard times. There's suffering in the world. I don't think we argue about that. There is evil, uh, suffering, difficulty that impacts our personal lives. Um, you know, there might be somebody who sits here today and I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why my marriage didn't stay together. I don't know, you know, why didn't God preserve uh, that? Why didn't he keep that together? Why am I still struggling with temptation? Why doesn't God take that away? Why is there sickness? Why is there death uh, that, that is part of our lives? And we will struggle, honestly, with that. We will. Uh, it is real. I'm not going to go into the detail to prove that, except I do want to make sure that we are aware that This is also, and I'll say this, this is also biblical, if you will. Think through Bible heroes for a second. Okay, let's start in the New Testament. Other than Jesus, main characters, Peter and Paul. Peter spent time in prison, ended up being crucified. Paul, multiple times in prison, shipwreck, heartache, ended up having his head chopped off. 
Okay. Uh, go to the Old Testament. Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. <laughs> Not a picnic. Uh, Joseph uh, sold into slavery. Uh, ended, up, ended up in prison. Again, not a picnic. Think about uh, Moses, 40 years in exile, 40 years uh, in wandering. Not, a, not exactly the picnic there. Um, so David, the psalmist, how many times did the psalms begin with the idea of God? I don't, I don't understand. How long, O oh Lord? This is, this is hard. Um, a couple of them that I listed specifically, maybe, uh, again, from the Old Testament, we have Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet. <laughs> Not exactly, you know, happy man. Uh, the weeping prophet, he lamented over the heartache of watching people turn away from God and, and their disobedience, uh, and their rebellion against his message, and, and was known for that throughout his life. He also wrote the book of Lamentations uh, describing that time. How about back to the New Testament, John the Baptist, his own purpose in life was to make uh, the way for the Lord, clear the path for the Lord. And he ends up uh, wrongly accused, and he ends up having his head taken off also. You say, Pastor, this is really a joyous message, but here's what I wanted to make sure that we understand. Oh, hey, one more thing here. Uh, we have looked at Psalm 73 a couple times in the last few weeks where the, uh, the writer of this Psalm, Asaph, got to the place where he said, I don't understand what's going on, but then I came to the house of the Lord. I wanted to show you how that Psalm begins. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are of pure heart, but as for me, Okay, and I just wanted you to see that phrase in his expression there because he says, I know you're good, God, but, and I think we often find ourselves, again, you know, that's not what we're, we're not going to sing. God is good, but he's not, you know, like that. We're going to sing God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But sometimes in our heart of hearts, sometimes in our minds, we are going to be like Asaph here who says, God, I know you're good, but but I'm struggling. So to kind of sum that up there, we know that these things are part of life, evil, pain, suffering, death. But I want us to remember that they are not contrary to the story of Scripture. In fact, we could say, this is a quote by Craig Rochelle from Life Church in Oklahoma, but uh, we could even say that they are central to the Bible. The Bible deals with that over and over again, that life is hard, uh, that there are many things, you know, in this world. So we're going to go after that, if you, okay, so the conclusion would be there is evil in the world, so God cannot be loving or God cannot be omnipotent. So we're going to attack those two things and look at those from Scripture. As I collected material this week, there were all types of, if you want to say, human thinking, human reasoning through that, and all types of illustrations, some of which uh, had great merit, but I don't want to go that way today. I want to go specifically to, to look at those things and see what Scripture has to say about those things. Uh, I did want to real quickly just mention, you know, for example, you know, people, okay, how are we going to explain this? I heard one guy gave an illustration using the twilight, an episode of the Twilight Zone. Y'all remember the Twilight Zone? Uh, well, the uh, this he there was an episode of the Twilight Zone where a guy was in love with a girl and she didn't love him back, and he got a hold of a love potion, and the love potion, you know, once she so uh, actually he put it on him. It was a it was a. a what do you call those things you put on yourself? Uh, cologne, yeah. Uh, and when he, when he put it on, then whoever, you know, the girl that would see him and smell this, she would be in love with him. And she would love him no matter what, uh, you know, stuff like that. And she would do anything for him. In the beginning, he's very happy with it. And eventually, he just gets sick of it because he realizes this girl has no control over it. And uh, I, this pastor used this illustration. And he said, without choice, there is no love. And God is love. So, therefore, he gives us a choice. And cho we saw 
sometimes choose bad. Uh, others have said, well, the existence of evil is proof that there is a God because how would we know evil and good uh, were it not that God has given an, an ultimate standard? And there are different things like that that you process through. But human reason can be right, but I don't want to I don't want to dwell, first of all, on that. And I definitely don't want to go with illustrations. You all know I love a good illustration. But I promise you this. I do not ever start with I don't anymore ever start with an illustration. Okay, there was a day when I thought that's what you did when you preach. You could find a good story, and then you kind of figured out if you could take a truth from it, and then you tack some scripture in there. That's not right. Uh, so what we're going to do, as I looked at all the notes I have, I, want to, I wanted to singular, or focus primarily on the, the theme, the content of what the scripture says. So there is evil. We know that takes place. There cannot be, the conclusion is, there cannot be an omnipotent, there cannot be an all-loving or benevolent God. So let's, first of all, address that question. Is God indeed all-powerful? Uh, those references are on the notes that we have. I, I wanted to take a few minutes and look specifically at just a few of them. The first one there in 1 Timothy. Timothy wrote and he said, which uh, again, we're picking up in the middle uh, so which he will display at the proper time. Okay, here, here is how he is described. He who is the blessed, the only sovereign. Okay, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Timothy says basically he is the only sovereign. He is large and in charge. I did write down several places in my notes today, slow. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about me, but I can talk fast sometimes. And sometimes I can read the scripture real fast, and then I get my tongue tied and everything like that. But I want to try to make sure that I slow down here and just let you digest a little bit. In Isaiah 45, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, from the west and from the west, that there is none besides me. Listen to this. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light, create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all things. In Romans... The Apostle Paul wrote, but who are you, O man, to answer? He's actually quoting another place in Scripture here. But, O man, to answer back to God, will what is molded say to the molder? Will the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience, uh, patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for his glory. When I read these texts, one of the things that I come away with is that God is not trying to save himself bad press. You know, well, there's bad things that happen in the world, and, and uh, you know, maybe God isn't capable of stopping them. You know, maybe he is not ob omnipotent. You know, maybe he's just has decided, you know, that, that he can't do that. I think when we read these texts, it is, I very simply have to say he owns it, okay? In fact, when you talk about the difficulty and hard times, he promises it. 
If there is any tone of apology in my voice today, I want to make sure you know that that is Dan. That is Dan being wimpy. Okay, I might not want to say this, but God has no tone of apology if you read those verses. God is in large and in charge. He is God. There's a guy, and I, I, I don't know if any of you know who he is or not when I mention his name, Bill Maher, Maher, M-A-H-E-R. I know who Bill Maher is. Anyway, he used to have a show probably 20 years ago uh, called uh, Politically Incorrect. I used to watch it. I shouldn't have. It didn't help my blood pressure. But he would get on there, and he'd have three panelists with him or three people they just sit around and talk with him. And he often would make sure that he had one on there that was a Christian, and he spent a lot of the time mocking the Christian. Not a big fan of God, old Bill Maher. Well, I saw something come up about him recently where, again, he was talking to a Christian. Shouldn't have, but, you know, the old car accident accident thing. You have to look. Uh, so I clicked on it and I watched it. And he said, he said, you're God. He said, you're God that you talk about. He said, look at the first commandments. It's all about him. You know, no other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. You know, don't have any graven images. It's all about him and his glory. And I have to say to Bill Maher, you're right, buddy. You got it. It is all about him. He is God. And he does not, you know, apologize. Um, I think singing of God's love for us is a healthy thing, and we'll get to that in, in a minute. But sometimes our worship can become more focused on us. I love that we don't try to do that. I love singing holy, holy, holy is he and cry that out because, uh, some, you know, sometimes it's all about us and making ourselves feel better. Now, those first four commandments, like all of God's commands, are not grievous, grievous to us. The Bible says they are for our good, and we know that uh, the better that we know God. But sometimes we look at it and, uh, you know, we just struggle with this idea that really it is all about his glory. You know, we quote the statement, what is the sole purpose of man? And that is to glorify God. But that is the sole purpose of man. We are for his glory. And I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything to take away from the fact that God is in control. I'm counting on the fact, listen, I'm counting on the fact that God can destroy evil. And I believe it's going to come. That day is going to come. I'm counting on that. I don't want him to be subject to evil. But, you know, we sing, uh, I think last week we sang about the God of the mountain is the God in the valley. We often sing phrases that have to do with beauty coming from ashes, life coming from death. I know we sang that, that today. And we know all this to be true of God. And yet sometimes when we look at that, we know this is true. And yet sometimes we look and this whole discussion of the fact that God is omnipotent, and he is, that he has all this power, we look at that, and it leads us to that second question, well, then, is he all-loving? And what I wanted to do as we approach this, again, I, I wrote the word in large letters at the top of the page for me, slow down, because I want to read through a passage in the book of Romans that I, think, uh, that I think we need to read through. It begins with a verse that is, again, I don't know who does these surveys, but it has been chosen as the number one verse that Christians like. It's like their top verse. And actually, my favorite verse is in this passage too, even though it is uh, not the same verse. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
doesn't say all things will be good. It says they will work together for good. We see things in proximity. God uh, sees things uh, in eternity. He gets the complete, he sees the ultimate. We see the proximate, if you will. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, this is what he's working on, that we be uh, conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, brothers. And those whom he predestined, that he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Slow down, Dan. Ready? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son but he gave him up for us all. We sang, we sang the words today, you know, the greatest miracle, the one that is amazing, is it basically that he loved me. Okay, and, and the, the greatest miracle that just overwhelms me, he did not spare his own son, he gave him up. How will he not also with him, with that gift, graciously give us all things? And then the writer goes on, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You got that? Can you process that for a minute? Satan would love to say, he has no place in heaven. And all you have to do is say, he's right, but. <laughs> and your advocate steps in, Jesus Christ. Who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And he's at the right hand of God, who indeed is. What's he doing? He's interceding for us. Okay? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> Tribulation. You understand, don't you, it's all rhetorical. Tribulation, uh-uh. Distress, no. Persecution, no. Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, no. It is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. That's how we are here on this earth. But not in all these things, in all these things, in everything we face here on this earth, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure neither life it backwards, nor death, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor breath. Uh, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mentioned, you know, that first verse, uh, all things work together. God uh, is going to work them all together for the good. And we know that, uh, hopefully many of us know that verse. My favorite verse I mention a lot is, is actually 832, where he says, uh, the God who has already given his own son, can I not trust him with everything else? Because when I process life and I get to the place where this doesn't make sense and I am struggling with, does God love, how can this happen? And again, I'm talking about in my mind. I'm not talking about it being right thinking. Uh, I'm just trying to be transparent. When I, when I wrestle with that, I love to run back to, it's kind of a go-to verse. It's an anchor for me to say, wait a minute, God has given his own son. This love is beyond comprehension. I also run back to the Old Testament verse that says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And I want to say, again, with complete, as being transparent as I can, I don't have God figured out, and I won't have God figured out. The one song we sang, holy, I mentioned this last week. When we hear that word, we think of it kind of a prudish 
whatever, you know, God is holy. He doesn't do wrong. And that's absolutely right. But the word itself, when you dig into it, it, when you study it, it comes down to the word otherness. But it is that idea that God is different. He's separate from his creation. He has not been impacted by the same things that, uh, that have impacted us, and he is unchanging. Nothing has ever changed him. So God is beyond my comprehension. Most significantly, I guess we could say God's love is beyond my comprehension, but everything that I see in God is just, I'm not going to figure him out. Now, there's a, a place in Scripture where it says that there comes a day when I shall know even as I am also known. And I love that idea, but for right now, I don't have God all figured out. So I wanted to tell you honestly, your pastor sometime is going to stand beside you and say, I don't know why this happened. I hurt for you. I'm sorry, but I don't know why this happened. I can't, I can't figure this out. Now, I have learned that I can trust God in everything, for he did not spare his own son. And I run back to that verse, and that's an anchor that I hold on to. But I want to be honest. I cannot explain why to God, uh, you know, bad things happen. I'm not going to be able to answer that about every specific situation, and I won't even try. I mean, but there, there's the question right there. <laughs> That's what we write the books about, okay? Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, we struggle with it all the time. If you don't believe me, Google it. <laughs> You'll see all the books come up, all the discussions on it. I'm going to answer that very concisely in a minute. I'm going to answer that in two words. Probably a couple months ago, I could have done it easier, but as I have processed through this week, I want to, I want to share with you something that's very, um, why do bad things happen to good people? I want to, I want to say this, uh, last week, a week ago, yesterday, we conducted a funeral here for somebody that I describe as a good person, one of the finest people I ever met, uh, a fine lady, so she is a good person. Uh, next Saturday, I get to do the same thing uh, with a friend of mine, another friend of mine, uh, conduct a service for somebody that I label good guy. <laughs> I want to be labeled a good guy. I think of myself most of the time as a pretty good guy. So when I'm going to say what I'm about to say, I realize if you struggle hearing this, you, we can have a support group. I'll, I'll meet with you later. The answer really is simple. They don't. Bad things don't happen to good people. By our standard of comparison with other people, we are often good. And, and I'm not against saying that. I'll still say, hey, that's a good guy. That's a good, good girl. I mean, they're great people. But when we are compared to a holy, infinite God, the Bible makes very clear, read Romans 3, that there are none righteous, no, not one. We do not measure up to his standard. Okay? It, it, it is... Yeah, I, I again, I, I told you that you know, there might be some apology in here on my part because I struggle with that, and, and I realize there's some who will not like my answer. When Jesus talked with the um, rich young ruler who came to him, Jesus used this phrase. He said, only God is good. Okay, now listen. I have two more words I want to throw at you. There is one time when something very bad, in fact, what I think could be described as the greatest evil ever done on this earth, happened to one. And that act that took place there was most definitely ordained by God. 
Peter preached, and he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through you in, through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, listen, look at this next phrase, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men, but that was all ordained by God. Later on, Peter preaching again, for truly in this city you were gathered together against the holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the, and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God, it was in your plan that he would stand trial before Herod and Pontius Pilate. All that God had laid out ahead of time. This is God's perfect plan. I um, have a friend I email back and forth with in, in Pennsylvania, and uh, I told him what I was preaching on this week. I said, hey, pray for me. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to address this. And he sent back things that were not helpful at all. Uh, but he sent back, he had on 9-11, which was this past Monday, uh, he had got on a thread of people talking about 9-11, and he was saying how one person on there had, had said, I am so thankful on that day that God spared my, I forget, one of his loved ones that normally would have been in a tower and, uh, and was not there that day. And, he, and they talked about how God had spared them. And the people chimed back in. And you might be thinking what some of them said. That's great for you, but how about the thousands of others? Come on, can we be honest? Don't, don't those thoughts come into our head sometime? Yeah, Pastor, you know, we, we get it, but, but, but God, uh, you know, why, why didn't he just stop it for everybody? Why, why didn't he do this? Why, why didn't he hand all that? And my conclusion that, again, I run back to, I run back to that verse, but I also, I have a book of, uh, de it's a devotional thoughts of a pastor. He's not one that you would have ever heard of, but he writes in his journal. And in there, he likes to write, and again, he's just using his imagination, but he likes to write himself letters from God as to what God's truth would say into his life. In other words, God, I'm feeling this. But then he comes back and he kind of takes the word of God and God's truth and he writes himself a letter as though God were saying it. And one that has always stuck with me, and I took it and I wrote it over into the front of my journal and it transfers every year when I get a new, new journal is this. His name is John. Here's the letter that God wrote back to him. It said, Dear John, for today I'll be God, you be John. Things are going to work a lot better like that. So that's what I wrote. Dan, for today, I'll be God. You be Dan. You're going to find that things work a lot better like that. Now, you have noticed that uh, there's a table that's prepared in front of us here. And I love just even the timing because, you know, sometimes I thought, okay, we'll do communion on the third week and wasn't really processing what the message would be and everything like that. But I think it will do us a great deal of good to stop on this morning. And there's a lot of things we remember when we go to the table. We remember our own sin. I hope that it nailed Jesus to the cross, that he died for our sin. We remember his sacrifice. We remember this incredible love. Okay, we remember a love that really doesn't even make any sense. Why would he love me? Why would, why would I deserve this love? So we are going to take time, as we often do, to remember that 
because of sin, there's a price for sin. There's a price for my sin, but Jesus paid the price for that sin. And I want to invite anybody who believes that and has trusted in Christ and said, I believe that he paid the price for my sin. I want to invite anybody who believes that way and would like to join us to take communion with us. I say it like that because I also want you to feel complete. Uh, no shame, no anything. If you, for whatever reason, you decide that you'd rather not take communion today. Uh, last time we were a little short. We'll, we will have enough here today for the entire town of Edwardsburg and surrounding community, I promise. But, um, but we're, uh, this, this is, you know, Jesus' instruction was, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Um, I want to encourage you. Um, I think we're going to you know, play a song that just talk, talks about this incredible love. I want to encourage you during this time uh, uh, in your heart, you know, just bow before him. And, uh, and maybe if even, you know, we wrestle with, okay, God, what, what is going on? Just remember, how can I not trust this one who did not spare his own son? As we remember that he indeed did not spare his own son. In a moment, I should say the music will begin to play. You'll see folks begin to take the elements from the table in the front. And there's a table back here. And you are invited to join um, based on what we said earlier. Father, yeah, I want to end the same way I started. Without you, without your spirit teaching and ministering this truth, I know I've just wasted my time and I've wasted the time of, the, of these people. Uh, so would you minister far beyond what I could ever want to do? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church. Or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.